Ecclesiastes chapter 1 at this point in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you were with us last week, you understand that Solomon is terribly frustrated with life, just so incredibly frustrated. And he expressed that frustration in the previous verses by describing life really like this. It's just one boring, unbroken circle. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, he describes how one generation lives and eats and sleeps and works and plays and then dies. And then the next generation comes behind them and they do the very same thing. And all the while the sun comes up and the sun goes down. And the sun comes up and the sun goes down. And it goes up and it goes down day after day after day. And while the sun is doing its thing, Solomon said the wind and the rain, uh, they're over there doing their thing. In verses 6 and 7, he describes how the, the rivers flow into the sea and how the heat evaporates the water from the sea, forming the clouds, and then the clouds fill, uh, the clouds rain, and then they re refill the rivers, and the rivers flow back into the sea, and it starts all over again. There is nothing new, Solomon said. There is nothing new. It's just the same old boring thing day in and day out. Now, here's, here's the the context of what, what Solomon was saying, he was describing life that is lived under the sun. And we have to remember the, what the meaning of that phrase is. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's living a, a life without God at the center of it. That's what he's talking about when you read in the book of Ecclesiastes, you read the phrase, under the sun. He's talking about focusing exactly what we sung about a moment ago, focusing on this world and the things of this world and the possessions of this world and the security of this world and all that this world has to offer. If that's our focus, then we're living life under the sun. And yes, it is going to be one huge unbroken circle of boredom. So in an effort to try and add a little spice to his life, Solomon began experimenting with anything and everything, hoping to find that one thing that would prove to be the key that would unlock the secret of life and make it worth living. So let's get into our text tonight, beginning in verse 12 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The first thing that, that Solomon talks about is education. Look at it, verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. He was the king of a vast domain. And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are all things that are done under the heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. 
and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to a great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. What Solomon found as he wandered the hallways of academia, if you will, was that human knowledge can answer the questions of time, but it can't answer the questions of eternity. Philosophy can answer the question about man's mind, but it cannot answer the question about man's soul. Science can answer the question, how does a man die? But it cannot answer the question, if a man dies, shall he live again? Ethics can answer the question, how can a man be right with other men? But it cannot answer the question, how can a man be right with God? I'm doubting if I were to ask uh, those among us this evening, our college students, how many times in this last school year did one of your professors stand before you and tell you how you could be right with God? I'm guessing the answer would be zero because it's just not going to happen. And much to his surprise, Solomon found that the more he learned, the emptier he felt. We have people today telling us that, that the answer to all of our problems is better education. So what do we do? We worship at the shrine of science, we sacrifice our minds at the altar of the university, and we worship the God of knowledge. As one writer stated, we're hoping that somehow we can ride the waves of knowledge to the shore of utopia. I don't think Solomon, listen, I don't think that Solomon is, is, is down on education in and of itself. And please, I want you to understand me tonight. I'm not either. Listen, I, I spent two years in the eighth grade, so I'm, I'm good with education. <laughs> Love education. He's not, he's not down on education in and of itself. I think he's down, and rightfully so, on education without God that just leads to brilliant foolishness. Adrian Rogers said something to this effect years ago, a person who has knowledge in his head but does not have God in his heart is nothing more than a clever devil. Solomon learned that knowledge alone is not the answer to life, nor does it provide the answers. 17-year-old high school student named Karen Chang proved that. This young lady from Fremont, California achieved a perfect score of 800 on both sections of her SAT test. She also got a perfect 8,000 on the University of California Acceptance Index. Never before had anyone done that. A straight-A student she was at, at Mission San Jose High School. 
She's described as a typical teenager who munches on junk food and talks for hours on the telephone. She even claimed to be a procrastinator who didn't do her homework until the last minute. Her teachers called her Wonder Woman. And they said that she has an unquenchable thirst for knowledge. But here's what's interesting about this story. When a reporter asked her, what is the meaning of life? Her reply was this, I have no idea. I'd like to know myself. I think if someone would have walked up to Solomon in his day, said, Solomon, what is the meaning of life? You know, I think his answer would have been, I don't know. I'm trying to find that out myself. Twice in these verses, he uses the phrase vexation of spirit. And in the Hebrew, the word for vexation refers to to a grasping after. The word used for spirit speaks of the wind. And so here's what Solomon is, is saying with all of this learning and all of this knowledge without God. He said, searching for the meaning of life and education and learning without God is like grasping after the wind. You're never going to catch it, and you're always going to come up empty. Let me, let me just ask you this tonight. Has all of our progress and advancements in technology made any of our lives more fulfilling? Has any of the learning and the, the, the devices and the the gadgets and the conveniences that have, that have come out of that learning, have they made our life any more rewarding? Not mine. It's made my life easier. I love the remote. And I love now I can just push a, push a button and tell it what I want to watch, and boom, it goes right to it. I don't have to tell my wife to get up and change the channel anymore. I like it. <laughs> my wife loves it. So it's easier. Our life is easier, absolutely. But I would, would dare say that my life has not been made any more fulfilling. Most of us, listen, most of us have more information on the hard drives of our computers than entire nations once possessed in their ancient libraries. Yet never before have we had so many hungry, diseased, disowned, unhappy, illiterate people? I don't know what the world has, I don't know that the world has ever known the degree of terrorism and discord it knows now. Yet look at the amount of knowledge that we have at our fingertips. Think about this. If learning, listen, if learning was the key to life, then the college campuses in this nation would be the most moral, ethical, spiritual places in existence. <laughs> but alas, they're not. They're not. For all of its benefits, education and intellectual attainment, 
They can only speak to us about life under the sun. If you really want something beneficial, it's found in this book that teaches us about life beyond the sun. So Solomon checks out education, and he's disappointed at the end of his search. So as we jump over to chapter 2, he tries amusement. Look at it, verse 1. I said in mine heart, go to now. I will prove thee with myrrh. Therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter it is mad, and of myrrh, what doeth it? Now it's not, it's not that Solomon has left the university, so to speak. He's just gone from the library to the frat house. Okay? Perhaps somehow it came to his attention that, that you know, listen, Solomon, you're just taking things way too seriously. Dude, listen, you, you need to loosen up a little bit. You need to kick back a little bit. Grab some gusto, live it up, eat, drink, and be merry. Come on, Solomon, you're, 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 a, you're, a, you're a book nerd, and, and, and no wonder your life is boring. You can almost visualize the scene. His palace in Jerusalem probably resembled a 10th century B.C. version of Caesar's palace in Las Vegas. But as full as it was, with all kinds of amusements, it was just as empty of things that really mattered. Things like meaning and peace and happiness. Here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing the mornings after all look the same. Solomon mentions laughter in verse 2. He wrote about laughter in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17. He said this, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Listen, those of you who know me know this. I enjoy a good laugh just as much as the next guy. I love to laugh. I enjoy joking around and, 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 and having fun at other people's expense. Especially if it's potsy. But is it not true that laughter on the outside is often a cover-up for longing on the inside? Not always, but sometimes. Solomon knew that. And he said as, as much in Proverbs 14, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. And the end of that myrrh is heaviness. That verse makes me wonder how many people who wear a, a smile as wide as the ocean do so in order to cover up the heartache that runs just as deep. For many, laughter only breaks the monotony of crying. 
and pleasure is only an intermission to pain. Try as they may, people cannot laugh off the pain of an empty, unfulfilled life. The possibilities, talking about amusement and pleasure, anyone who knows about the life of Solomon knows that the possibilities for sensual pleasure were nearly endless in his world. He had rooms rooms full of wives and concubines. Now, for those who are not aware, a concubine was a female who voluntarily enslaved and sold herself to a man primarily for sexual pleasure. The Bible says Solomon had 300 of them. But at the end of the day, he had no fullness. No happiness. Solomon was trying desperately, desperately to be happy. But he was failing. And so many in our world today can empathize with Solomon. They've been down the road of amusement and pleasure. And here's what they found. They found that it leads nowhere but to destruction. But Solomon wasn't finished. He thought to himself, well, if, if joy and happiness and satisfaction, listen, if it's not in women, if, if women aren't the answer, he said, then maybe wine is the answer. Look at verse 3. I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was the good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Perhaps Solomon thought to himself, hey, if I can't laugh away my sorrows, then maybe I could drown them. But here's what Solomon found. He found out that sorrow swims. I worked two full shifts at the police department this holiday weekend. And here's what I found out to be true. Something that I already knew was true. And that is that alcohol doesn't do one good thing for anybody. Not one good thing for anybody. But you would think by watching the television and listening to and viewing all of the ads that are produced by the liquor industry that, that drinking, responsibly of course, is one sure route to satisfaction. <laughs> but alas, at the end of the day, This old-fashioned book is still true. Wine is a mocker. And strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. 
Anyone who thinks that by taking an alcoholic beverage into their body, they can somehow find satisfaction, <laughs> they're only deceiving themselves. Because Solomon is about to say for the third time that it's nothing but grasping at the wind. Here's the biggest problem with those who try to find the meaning of life in a bottle or a can or a glass is that they have to sober up. what they find when they do is that life is still empty and so what do they do they go back and then they sober up and find out that it's still empty and they go back and they go back and they go back oh but Pastor you don't understand I, I, I don't drink to get drunk Neither did Solomon. Did you catch what he said here? He says he was able to keep his heart with wisdom. He kept his senses about him. So he could record his observations on the effects of the wine. But as he sampled the taste of the drink before him, he found that the pleasure was fleeting artificial so that at the end of his experiment he concluded that happiness was not in a bottle or a can or a glass that truth notwithstanding the bottomless budgets of the liquor industry make drinking seem very attractive a wine glass or a beer bottle becomes a ticket of social acceptance for our young people and soon they feel naked without it campus parties and social life revolve completely around drinking and intoxication and all of the things that leads to as if these were the most glorious pursuits, the focus of life itself. Meanwhile, the mounting tragedies of drunk driving and dissipated lives are ignored. Because who can shout over the message of movies and songs and TV commercials? that glorify the emptiness. So Solomon knew the truth. Alcohol was perhaps the emptiest of pursuits. Now most of you know this. And I'm not speaking tonight on this subject as one who has no, no exposure to it. Both of my parents were drunks. I saw what it can do from the morning to the evening. 
I made many trips from here to Dumas, Texas, where my aunt owned Wimpy's Beer Store. Still there. I made many trips from here to there with my mom drunk. Routine was always the same. She'd leave here. She'd stop in Optimal back in the day when Optimal had that little store on the south side of the highway. She'd buy some, whatever we call them, pork skins or pork rinds or whatever. Then she'd pop open another beer and she'd eat those and drink her beer. My mom and dad practically lived at the VFW on the weekends. I'm just telling you. Alcohol didn't do one good thing for our family. Not one. Now I'm happy to report that in 1989, my mom got saved. And in 2001, my dad got saved thankful for that I'm just telling you tonight there's no good in it and that's just not that's just not my word that's God's word so he tries education and he strikes out or he he strikes and in amusement that strike two and alcohol that strike three it's like Solomon you're out but he just keeps swinging. And his next experiment was with luxury. I'd rather have Jesus. It's such an incredible commentary on verses 4 through 10. Look what Solomon said. He said, I... I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes, look at this, and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Solomon became not only the richest man in the world during his time, but probably the richest man to ever live. In the, the opening verses there that we just read, he, he 
became an expert in things like architectures. As a matter of fact, his palace was one of the seven wonders of the world. People came from all over. Remember the story about the Queen of Sheba coming and, and, and uh, in essence, making this statement, what they say is true. He became an expert in, in agriculture and horticulture. He built this, this beautiful palace, as I just talked about. He surrounded himself with, with beautiful water gardens and cascading waterfalls and the fragrance, fragrance of flowers and lust vegetation and hallways lined with, with silver and gold. He had maids and he had servants, more than he would ever need. We read elsewhere of Solomon that he had 40,000 horses and a throne of solid ivory overlaid with pure gold. I was reading this today that his yearly income in today's money would be in the neighborhood of 5 to $10 billion a year. He swam in an ocean of opulence and affluence. His residence made Disney World look like a dump. But at the end, but at the end, let's read verse eleven. Let's read his estimation of all of that. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold. All was vanity, vexation of spirit. Look at it, church. And there was no prophet under the sun. Are you with me tonight? Solomon discovered that you can have a lot in your hand and yet have nothing in your heart. You can be a prince on the outside but be a pauper on the inside. Solomon learned that money can buy a lot of things, but it can't buy everything. And it sure can't buy the most important things. One Wall Street Journal writer called money an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven. And as a universal provider of everything except happiness. Too many people are like Solomon. And they're trying to stuff the empty pockets of their souls with material things. And listen to me, it's not working. And really that should not be a surprise Because Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. I don't don't know why I was thinking about this again today. I posted on Facebook. I don't know why I have thought, I have referenced Gilligan's Island a lot of late. I love Gilligan's Island. How many of you remember the professor? Ah! That dude was so cool. I mean, he, he, could, he could come up with anything out of anything. 
It was amazing. He used bamboo and the ship's horn and radio batteries to create a lie detector. Why? I can't remember why he needed a lie detector, but he did. He made a, a battery recharger from a coconut shell. Now, I remember one time he made a helium balloon out of raincoats and, and he sealed it with tree sap. <laughs> he came up with some of the wackiest inventions to help the castaway survive on that deserted island. But the one thing that he couldn't come up with was something to patch the hole in the boat so they could go home. Of course, I guess if he did that, it'd be the end of the show, wouldn't it? Say, preacher, what in the world did you do back in that office? Now there's a point here. There's a point. And here's the point. That there are people all around us who come up with all kinds of things to help them cope with life in this world. Some have to do with the things we talked about tonight, education. Some have to do with, with amusements of all kinds. Some with alcohol or drugs. Some with wealth and luxury. And they're, they're, they're like the professor and they're, they're coming up with all of this stuff and putting all of this stuff together and creating all of these things and, 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 and others that I haven't even mentioned. But the one thing, listen, the one thing they can't come up with is how to get off the island of despair that they have been marooned on their entire lives. Old Testament commentator Derek Kidner wrote this, and, and, and I'll wrap it up tonight. He made this observation. What spoils the pleasures of life for us is our hunger to get out of them more than they can ever deliver. Getting, listen, getting eternal and ultimate meaning out of temporal and temporary pursuits is destined to fail. And what a great summation of this part of the book of Ecclesiastes. Getting eternal and ultimate meaning out of temporal and temporary pursuits is destined to fail. Sadly, what people don't understand and maybe there's some here tonight. What they don't understand is what they're missing has nothing to do with possessions. It's about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. In church, it should be our daily prayer that we would have the opportunity to share that truth with someone every day.
if not verbally, at least through the life that we live, may we show them that a life lived for Jesus is a life worth living.